You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Luke. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. And uh, Luke chapter 20, verse 39. It says, Then some of the scribes answered and said, Teacher, you've spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. And he said to them, how can they say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, David himself said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seat in the synagogues and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater judgment. And so, Lord, as we just dig into your word and we just sense uh, just from first service and just in my, my prayer and studying over today that, that you just have good, strong exhortation for us, that we would charge and go deeper into you, Lord. And so from the least of these to the greatest of these, Lord, would you rock our world this morning and just cause us to, to go madly and deeply farther in love with you and, and, and deeper in knowing you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> amen. So we've been studying for the last probably five weeks, uh, roughly, that uh, the scribes and the Pharisees have been questioning Jesus' authority and, and really, you know, testing him deeply to see if he really is the Messiah. And, and, and they, didn't, they didn't trust him, they didn't like him, and so they were trying to trip him up on all fronts and try to get him to mess up. Uh, so that they perhaps could arrest him and deliver him up to be killed. And so, you know, we, we've just studied. They keep bringing these tricky questions before him. And he always answered so, so well. And he always caused their mouths to just stop. They couldn't, they couldn't catch him in anything. And so, you know, basically, they're, they're done asking him the questions. And so he has a question himself. And he brings them to Psalm chapter 110, which was known to be a prophecy of the Messiah. All of the Jews uh, just knew Psalm 110, prophecy of the Messiah. We got it. We know it. We've taught it to our kids. We've taught it to our family. No big deal. We know it. And so Jesus takes them to that. And he says, well, I've got a question for you then. And, and actually Matthew's gospel, chapter 22, he asks them, he says, you know, the Christ, whose son is he? And the scribes and the Pharisees answered, they said, he's the son of David. He's like, okay, so you know that, you know he's the son of David. And so then he goes on to say, well, David himself, verse 42, said in the book of Psalms, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? As you've been studying Luke and as you read the Gospels, the link with the house and the lineage of David, uh, it's established again and again throughout the Gospels. You know, blind Bartimaeus in Jericho would cry out, you know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. 
or just a couple of weeks ago and we studied the triumphant entry, you know, what did they shout out to Jesus as he rode in on the donkey? You know, they, they were talking about the house of David is finally being established. They all recognized that Jesus was of the line of David. And it was just, it was common uh, to know that, that uh, Jesus was of the line of David, but also that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And so in Jesus's question here, it really is a deep question. Uh, he's not asking if the Christ is the son of David. And if you're wondering, well, what exactly is the Christ? Christ speaks of the anointed one, speaking of the Messiah. It's not just Jesus's last name, as we often joke about, you know, Jesus, first name, uh, middle name, Christ, or no, last name, Christ. You know, that's, that's not what it is. It, it speaks of him being the Messiah, the anointed one. And the question is not if the Christ is the son of David, but Jesus is asking, how did this same David who wrote the Psalms refer to the Christ, his son, as Lord? Now, to, to fully understand the question, you got to kind of live in Israel or you got to be a Jew. You got to think like a Jew. In Israel, the older family member would rule. You know, the, the older siblings would often be referred to as Lord by the younger siblings. And how would you like that? You know, think of your sibling relationships. You know, how do you like to call your older brother Lord? Great. That's just what he needs. You know, he's always giving me noogies and, you know, shoving me down and bossing me around. And great. He just needs some fire to, to, to be that big brother that he always wanted to be. But, um, you know, so the younger would call the older Lord, but it was never the custom for the older family member to call the younger family member Lord. It just didn't happen. And so as we look at this psalm and, and the, the thought that David was getting out there as he wrote it was that the only person who could possibly be higher than David was God. The only person that David would possibly call Lord would be God himself. You know, for the only way for David to acknowledge that his great, 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 great grandson, Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, to know that Jesus was, was Lord would be for David to have realized that this great, 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 great grandson somehow was going to be God himself. And David realized that, that the Messiah was going to have to be both human and divine, fully God and fully man. And, you know, I know that I've just just been refreshed in this during the Christmas season and just, you know, considering that Jesus is both God and man. In fact, if you look at one of the, the famous Christmas prophecies in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, perhaps next Christmas Eve we'll study this in depth. But it just says, you might even know it from Christmas songs or whatever. It's just, it's common. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As Isaiah is prophesying the Messiah coming, Okay, the Messiah is coming. He's going to be a child. Literally a male child is what the language speaks of. A son is going to be given. And his name will be this, this, and God? <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, 
whoa, the Messiah is going to come. He's going to be a man. He's going to start out as a little boy, but he's also going to be mighty God, the creator. It just blows our mind. It boggles our mind that the Messiah was going to be fully God and fully man. And so as Jesus asked this question, he's trying to get out of the minds of the people that the Messiah was merely just a man or just the son of David. To be the son of David would have been a great thing, being the son of a king. Awesome. But even more than that, he was in fact the incarnate deity. And so the question here has to do with the identity of Jesus himself. It's an ID issue. And if you flip over to Hebrews chapter 1, the author of Hebrews uses this verse out of that psalm as well as many other similar verses uh, to, um, to prove his point. And if you know anything about Hebrews, basically the, the letter was written to a group of Hebrews who had become Christians. They were Messianic Jews. And yet because of persecution and, you know, mockery and their families disowning them for becoming Christians and following this no-name preacher from Galilee, there was the temptation there for the Hebrews to, to leave Christianity and go back to the Jewish ways, following the law and the systems and the ordinances and all that stuff, and to, to basically leave Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus and the free gift of salvation from Jesus. And so all throughout the letter, the theme of Hebrews is, hey, Jesus is better. Don't go back to the old law and the rules and the ordinance and the machine of Judaism. Don't go back. Jesus is better. And he just point by point by point says, Jesus is better. Hey, Jews, you like the angels? And the Jews had a high esteem of angels because the angels gave Moses the law. Oh, you know, you got to love angels. They did. And he says, you love angels. Hey, Jesus is better than the angels. And in Hebrews chapter one and two, he says, chapter one, Jesus is better than the angels because he's God. He created the angels. And in chapter two, Jesus is better than the angels because God is, or because Jesus is a man. And, and he came on the earth to be able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And what angel ever knew what it was like to be betrayed by men or to be spat upon or to have his beard pulled out or to eventually be executed or to have his friends betray him? No angel ever has known that. But Jesus is better than the angels because he became a man so that he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses. And then he goes on and on and on. But in chapters one and two specifically, He's better than the angels. Now, there's a lot of cults out there that'll say that Jesus is just another angel or he's Michael the archangel or, you know, he's, he's the brother of Lucifer, you know, and, and they had a contest one day on who had the best plan to, to redeem the earth and Lucifer lost and became the devil and all of his followers became black people, you know, and I'm not making this up. This is Mormonism at its heart, you know, and, but then there was Jesus and he won the contest. And so that he's just an angel that it's like, you know, whoa, whoa, let's go back and let's look at Hebrews chapter one and let's see how Jesus is God fully God and yet fully man. And so let's just look at Hebrews chapter one, verse five. It says, for to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father 
and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all of the angels of God worship him. You know, if Jesus, Jesus never said that to any of the angels, or excuse me, God, the father never said that to any of the angels. Hey, you're my son. Today I've begotten you. I'm your father. You're my son. In fact, all of the angels there in verse six, all the angels were to worship Jesus. He's no angel. He's worthy of the angels worship. And then in verse eight, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Are you hearing this? You've got a conversation going on between the first person of the Trinity and the second person of the Trinity. And the first person, God the Father, is calling the second person, God the Son, God. It's an incredible conversation. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. Isn't that incredible to hear? Or uh, the Lord said to my Lord, or there at the end of beginning of verse nine, God, your God has anointed you. And just all throughout, uh, you know, it's speaking of the deity of Jesus, that he's not just an angel. The only way he's an angel is that he's a messenger. And that can be used as the word angel. He, he's been a messenger in the past, you know, but he's not an angel like we consider the angels. He's God. He's creator. And so it's a deep study to do. To, to dig in deep and to look at Hebrews chapter one and to look at the prophecies and to understand that when Jesus was born of a woman, it was deity wrapped in flesh. And don't you love the verse of the Christmas carol we sing, hail the incarnate deity. I love that line. You know, God in flesh. And it's just an incredible, incredible doctrinal truth that we get to just enjoy and savor and feast upon as Christians. But as Jesus asked the question in Luke chapter 20, you know, David calls him Lord. How can he be his son? Matthew tells us that, that the, the, the Jews couldn't answer this question. They just couldn't, they couldn't answer it. And it wasn't that they didn't believe that what Jesus was saying was true they knew the verse and they can't argue with the verse, but rather they didn't understand what they believed. I mean, they'd been saying this verse since they were tiny little, tiny little Jewish boys. I mean, they knew it. They memorized it. They could say it backwards and forwards. They could say it every other, you know, they, they knew it. It's not that they didn't believe it. It's that they didn't understand it. Because they were very religious, they just would ritually affirm these things, but it was just mindless religion to them. You know, it's like, how many of us can sing the ABCs without really thinking about it, you know? It's like, oh, I remember when I first met J, you know, or I remember when I first met P, you know? It's like, you know, we just, ABCDFG has no meaning to us. It's just a, a little song. You know, and that's the way understanding the scriptures had become to these, these scribes, these learned Jews. 
And they didn't have an answer for Jesus. And notice that Jesus didn't give them the answer either. But we do know the answer from from Scripture and the whole of it, that Jesus, the Son of David, is very God and very man. He's the Lord of eternity, the author of creation, who in his majesty walks in meekness and humility. That's an awesome thing. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, I'm always saying it because it, 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 it diffuses itself out of me, I suppose, that, you know, that the son of man didn't come to be served, although he earned it, but rather he came to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. God could have come down in a lightning bolt, kabam, you know, bow down, say my name, here I am, repent of your sins, I'm here, I'm the Messiah, baby, you know, that he could have totally done that. But instead, his humble servant way of doing things was, I'm going to come in the form of a little baby born in a barn. <laughs> what have you born in a barn? Yes, I was. I was born in a barn, you know, and, and, you know, I'm going to come out. I'm going to come through the, the birth canal. I'm going to come out just like everybody else covered in placenta and they have to get the little bulb thing and suck it out, you know, and get it, make sure he's breathing, make sure he's breathing, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to have to learn how to walk. You know, I'm going to, everything that, that the people have to do, you know, I'm going to have to do. And I'm going to be tempted and I'm going to have to say, no, thank you. No, thank you. No, I can't. How could I sin against my father? No, no, no. I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to walk, you know, I'm not going to make people bow down to me. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to come alongside them. I'm going to lift them up. But for the people, for the scribes, they just had this very thoughtless and hopeless religion. And for us, sometimes we tend to just kind of morph into the same place that the scribes were. Some of us from our youth grew up in the church. We know all of the little Christian songs and we can very cleverly throw out the Christian cliches and speak Christianese and, you know, we've got it down. But it's just mindless. It's just, it's, it's, it's a natural thing that we just kind of just let it stay in this one complacent spot, always on a flat line. It's not enough to just rehearse the, the hymn Amazing Grace. You know, oh, I know Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. And that's the extent of my Christianity. You know, no, you want so much more than just knowing Amazing Grace. That's a good start. That's a great start. Of course, we all want to come from that point. Man, I remember I was so blind, but God opened up my eyes, took off the blinders, and now I see. Great. Now that you see, examine all that he is and feast upon it and grow in it and desire it. And daily, just like you would hunger for the food that you physically feed yourself. Man, I could use a pizza. Or I'm dying for a Diet Pepsi. Man, if I don't have a Diet Pepsi once a day, I get a headache. You know, I, I know that's not good. I don't need any lectures right now. But, you know, I crave that Diet Pepsi once a day. You know? And, and, and at the same time, we, I crave more of Jesus. The deep things of Jesus. The, the meaty, the weighty things of Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 3, if you're a fast Bible flipper, you can turn over there, just verse 16, 
And it's just a prayer from Paul or a plea from Paul that, that God would grant us, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That by his spirit, we might grow stronger and stronger and stronger. And then there in verse uh, 18, it says that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Man, if Paul prays that we could know God that way, I want to know God that way. Just looking at the Christmas story, just this this week, afresh, has just caused me to be, I can't believe he's done that for me. And I want to know the, the length of Jesus. How high can he go? How vast is knowing him? You know, one version says to know the breadth of God. I don't even know what that means. That's like to know the girth of something. I don't know what the girth is, you know, but I want to know Jesus that way. So wide and so vast. And just as I prayed as we were starting, just that verse in Romans, oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways. They're just past finding out. Well, I want to try I mean, man, aren't you, have you ever done a little mystery thing and you've tried to figure out something and once you figured it out, you're just like, whoa, it's incredible. Oh, but there's more. There's more? I want more then. But sadly, for so many Christians, they just like the, the, the scribes there that we read about, you know, they just say, well, you know, I just don't get into the deep theological issues. I'm good where I'm at. My Christianity is not a thoughtful, theological Christianity. It's a practical, thoughtless Christianity. It's really more of a religion that I've inherited from my family. Guys, this can't be so. This can't be so. Christianity means to be a little Christ. I want to be a Christian. And it's an all-consuming passion that just invades our mind. And the more you taste of Jesus, the more you say, woe is me if I continue on in this state that I'm in. I want more. I want more. I've got to have more. You know, for most Christians, they come to church and it's, you know, it's a delight to hear a pastor talk at times. I'm not saying here, you know, not that haughty, Uh, you know. But, you know, oh, I like to hear the pastor talk or I like to hear the worship band play. But that's about where it ends for me. You know, Mark tells us that the people would come and listen to Jesus and even the skeptics thought that it was a delight to hear Jesus speak. And in Mark chapter six, Herod would constantly have John the Baptist come in and and speak to him. And Herod delighted and loved, really liked the man, John the Baptist. He arrested him when John the Baptist confronted him on his sin, but still kind of liked the guy and wouldn't mind hearing him do a sermon every now and then. But within the chapter, Herod goes on and has John the Baptist's head cut off and put on a plate. You know, it's so much more than just liking to hear the words of a preacher. There's a difference between delighting and hearing and being confronted by the word of God and changed by the word of God. And that's why James tells us, you know, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. 
For a man who's just a hearer of the word, it's like he just went and looked in the mirror and examined his face and saw all these pimples and all these blemishes and that he missed a spot shaving, you know, and, and went to grab his razor and immediately forgot what he just looked at in the mirror and, you know, just walked off. But as we look into the mirror of the word, we see, oh, I see this in my life. It's got to go, you know, or I see this. I don't want to be that. God says, be holy as I'm, as, as I'm holy. Okay, I want to be holy. God forbid that I look into the word and the Lord shows me something on my face and I say, no, nah, I like that, you know, that little mustache, half mustache, you know, that's, that's the way it's supposed, it's the new style, Lord. You know, no, change that, Rory. Conform yourself to my word. Ezekiel 33 just talks about, you know, the people would love to hear the prophet talk. Oh, talk, 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 prophet, talk, prophet. And it says he's like a musical instrument to my ear. But they would never really understand what the prophet would say, and they wouldn't do what the prophet would say. And oh, that we might hear what the prophets are saying, that we might read and that we might do, that we might grow, not just out of habit, you know, rehearse the scripture or out of habit, sing the song. And sometimes when we do songs too many times, we just sing the song. We don't even know what we're singing about. That's why sometimes new songs are so great because you just, wow, man, whoever wrote this song, they just really spent some time with the Lord examining God, you know, and it's just fresh, fresh and new. But we need to be growing and daily have just fresh growth in our life. Of course, we don't want our children to be as immature and undeveloped as they are now in 12 months from now. We want them to grow and have maturity and development happen in their lives. You know, if Russell is at two and a half, almost three now, acted like a two and a half or a three-year-old when he's 30, you know, we'd have some issues, wouldn't we? You know, hi, Russell, how are you? I'm only two and a half years old. You know, it's like, wow, it was sure cute when he did it as a little boy, but a little odd, you know, when he tries to do the beetle through his goatee mustache, you know, or whatever, you know, there needs some, be, there needs to be some development here, Russell. And, um, it's just the same in our lives. And maybe just right now you'll take your pen and, and you'll write down in the margin of your Bible or on your notes or on your hand and just, you know, write down how old you are spiritually. How long have you known Jesus? How long have you been born again? Six years, three months, maybe today you'll be born again. That's awesome. But one day, you know, just accept Jesus in your heart right now. You're you're one second old, you know, and, uh, you know, but write that down right now or in your mind think, you know, let's see, I was probably came to Christ, you know, about 15 years ago. Some of you more than that. Some of you more than that. But just think about this. Is your spiritual maturity that of a two-year-old spiritually? Is it that of a one-month-old? Has there been any development whatsoever in your life spiritually? Or are you like the scribes having your growth arrested? You've known the same number of Bible verses since you were in Sunday school in kindergarten. You know, well, I knew John 3.16 now, and that's pretty much almost the only one I know. Maybe I know, uh, you know, it's time to grow. You know, we don't want to be where we are last year compared to now. You know, we want growth, major growth. I want to understand more theology than I do now. 
I want to get the deep things of, of God. I'm tired of being caught off guard by my family and my neighbor's theological questions to where I can only have about a five-minute conversation with them. And I, I go, um, well, you know, that's just how I feel about it. You guys don't have to feel about it. I can't prove anything. And, and you know, man, that's fine if you're, if you're at that place where, man, I'm new to this. I don't, I don't really know. I haven't had much of a chance to get started yet. That's fine. Grow. But for some of us, man, it's time. You know, you're a 30-year-old Christian. It's time to be living like a 30-year-old Christian and growing in the depths that a 30-year-old should be growing in. You know, don't be condemned. If you're, I'm I'm only a year old in the faith. And hey, great. Keep coming, keep coming, keep growing. Go farther, go deeper. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 10, and we'll be there for a little bit, so if you just want to flip over, that'd be good. Now remember with the Hebrews, Jesus is trying to tell them, or Paul is trying to tell them, whoever, we don't really know who the author of Hebrews is. I think it's Paul, so sometimes I slip up and say Paul. But, um, you know, he's trying to tell them, hey, Jesus is better, okay? He's better than the angels. And then in chapter 3, he's better than Moses, you know, he's better, uh, he's, he's going to get into the point in chapter five, he wants to say, if you're ready for it, you know, he's Melchizedek from the Old Testament. And right when he's about to say that, Melchizedek, he realizes, okay, that's a big word for some people. Most people don't know who Melchizedek is. And, and perhaps even you, you know, you can say, okay, Rory, right when you said Melchizedek the first time, my brain locked up, I shut the off switch on, you know, that's just too much, Rory, just can't get it. And you know what the funny thing is, is the author of Hebrews knew that about the people who would read this. And so if you look there in chapter five, verse 10 of Hebrews, uh, it says, you know, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Oh, he says, of whom we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Then he wants to tell them about Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. And how if you look at who Melchizedek is and you look at who Jesus is, Jesus is Melchizedek from the Old Testament. Whoa, there's just no way I can. Yeah. The Hebrews had a problem being able to wrap their mind around that and understanding that. So the author of Hebrews had to just say, let's push pause. He said, I'd love to talk with you guys about Melchizedek, but frankly, you're just not ready to hear it because you've grown dull of hearing. That word dull of hearing literally speaks of being lazy and sluggish or stupid in your, excuse me, in your hearing. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. It's just the language there that how lazy do we become as Christians in understanding the deep things of God? How sluggish, how stupid, if you will, you know, oh, I just, oh, no, I don't even want to get, I don't want to go there. I don't want to understand the deep things of God. Their ears had literally become, you know, that's what speaking of ears becoming clogged. Jesus talks about that, that, you know, Eyes they see, or excuse me, um, their eyes have been closed. Their ears are hard of hearing. And, and the language is really like, Lord forbid they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. But their eyes are clogged, their, or their ears are clogged. And, you know, maybe you guys have had some, some earwax build up. I don't know. 
frankly don't want to get into that with you. But when I was a high schooler, uh, I remember we had, uh, we were studying vacuum pressure in science. This was like, you know, middle school science in a high school class because look at me. But, um, you know, we got this long cotton stick. It was kind of cool, a long cotton stick. And you'd stick it in your ear and you'd light it on fire. Sounds like a good idea, right? We had to have the, the ambulance close by just in case the hairspray lit on fire. But, you know, so you have this, you're standing there, you got this long cotton stick sticking out of your head on fire. And uh, it would cause this vacuum pressure that would suck all of the earwax from your ear canal out into this long cotton rod. And then you'd get it and you'd cut it in half and you'd be able to see just all of it in there. So kind of nasty, I know. I don't mean to be gross. But the Hebrews' problem here was that their ears had become clogged. No longer, you know, God is trying to talk. God is trying to move. God is trying to grow. But all you hear is, you know, Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, gosh, unclog your ears. Quit being dull of hearing. And in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus goes to Nazareth. And he begins speaking, and it says that the people were astonished, which literally means struck dumb with amazement. You know, wow, listening to him. And then someone said, wait a second, isn't this guy the carpenter's son, Joseph's son, Jesus? Aren't, aren't his brothers James and Joseph's? And don't we know his sisters? And who does this guy think he is, this little local boy, you know, trying to run the show around here? And their hearts became hard and God wasn't able to do many mighty works there. Their problem was that they'd grown too familiar with Jesus. Do you ever think you'd hear your pastor say that? The problem with you is, is you're too familiar with Jesus. (laughs) No, the reason it's a problem is that for Jesus to us, sometimes he's just a routine that we do. Or he's just a religion that we've grown up in. Or he's just a man. And when we just get too familiar and we lose intimacy, then Jesus just becomes a man. He just becomes that guy from Nazareth, the brother of James, you know. We need to plead with the Lord for intimacy in our lives and we need to pursue intimacy in our lives. And, you know, I'm not trying to pick on kids in Christian schools, but as a high school pastor for almost eight years, I had so many kids come in from Christian schools and it's great because they are growing in the word and you train a child up in the way they should go. They won't depart from it. That is all good. But a problem with kids in Christian schools and even kids in Christian homes, just too familiar with Jesus. Know all the verses, know all the Christian songs, know all the right answers and just they can just move their tongue and it'll come out and it'll sound perfect. When really it's just they're too familiar. There's no depth in their relationship and intimacy with Jesus. And so the lesson for us is just that daily we would have a fresh encounter with Jesus. And we learn something about him every day that would just cause us to crave him more, cause us to want him more. Just, wow, I learned today that that David prophesied in the Psalms that his son... He he called him Lord because he realized his son was the Lord. He was God. That's incredible. That's that's deep. That's something that even the scribes couldn't understand. Man, I want to know the next thing. I want to know more. 
And so with this apathy in Nazareth came unbelief. And with unbelief came a hindrance of Jesus moving. It says, and he did not do mighty, many mighty works there in Nazareth, except that he healed a few people. Well, that's actually pretty good. I'll take it. (laughs) We'll take a a few healings. But then if you look back there in Hebrews chapter 5, it says, you know, you become dull of hearing. Verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to tell you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. And maybe this is talking to you this morning. By now, as a Christian, you ought to be teaching people. Well, Rory, what are you talking about? Should I be getting up there from behind the pulpit? No, not necessarily. Maybe that's a calling on your life. But you should be discipling those who are younger in the faith than you. And yet you still have to be taught the ABCs of God's word. The elementary principles of the faith. It was time for the Hebrews to graduate first grade. You know, they'd been in the first grade so long, some of them were eligible to date the teacher finally. And Paul says, or whoever it was, you know, it ought not be so. You should be teaching now. Why are you still the 40-year-old in the first grade class? Keep moving towards that next just area in maturity. Move, the, move beyond the ABCs. And what a mark of maturity, huh? Making disciples. So beautiful to me when I see just people having lunch with others and they've got the Bible cracked open and they're just going deep or they've got a discipleship book or together they're listening to an awesome Bible study on, on the internet or something. We're going deeper together. I'm discipling so-and-so. And it's just a, it's a mark of maturity in the Christian's life. And then it says at the end of verse 12 there, You've come to need milk and not solid food. The author of Hebrews wanted to give them the solid food, Melchizedek. Melchizedek was like a steak, you know, with all the fixings and all the trimmings, you know. But the Hebrew only had little baby gums. You know, there was no way that they could chew on Melchizedek. They were adult infants. You know, adults weren't made to wear diapers, and yet here they are with their diaper and their pacifiers and needing the milk. And sadly, many churches are made up of Christians who just want milk. Rory, give me a 20-minute sermon, buddy. Make sure you're done by noon. (laughs) Give me lots of jokes, lots of stories, perhaps some drama in the middle, and I want to be wowed with a multimedia presentation that just takes my breath away. Well, this might not be the church for you because that's a little bit milky. You know, that's a little bit watered down. There's some cream in that. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, I, I, I want to speak to you as to spiritual people, but I find myself speaking to carnal people like babies in Christ. You know, I fed you with milk and not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able for you are still carnal for where there are envy, strife and divisions among you. Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You know, Paul's telling them that I want you to grow and yet your growth is hindered because of carnality in your life. You know what carnal carnal means or carnality Chili con carne, you know, it speaks of meat or flesh. You know, is there, is there, 
are you operating in the flesh and the lusts of the flesh? Are you operating with covetousness? Are you operating with compromise? Are you slandering one another and gossiping against one another? Are you lusting after things or people? You know, is your life marked by your flesh? Hateful thoughts. Compromise. You know what the word teaches and you just do the opposite. That's carnality. It needs to be repented of. And you notice in the lives of carnal people, immaturity in the faith. Spiritual infancy is directly related to carnal living. Living for your flesh. I want to speak about Melchizedek, he says, but you're just not ready. So for the next chapter, chapter six, he dives into explaining their need for maturity. Look at verse 13. Just on that concept of drinking milk and not eating solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk, you might underline that word only, is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. If a baby only drinks milk, those of you that are mothers or those of you who are parents, you, you understand this, that if a baby only drinks milk and never is weaned, he won't grow right. There comes a point when the child needs to be weaned. And I read an article from about.com in the pediatric section. And as I read it, just take, take the physical idea of a baby and transfer it to your spiritual walk, okay? It says, Infants and toddlers who drink much more than 16 to 24 ounces of milk each day can have problems with constipation, but the biggest problem is usually all the extra calories they're getting from the milk they're drinking. These extra calories usually either cause a child to be full and not want to eat many other nutritious foods and become underweight, or if they're still eating well, then all of these extra calories can lead to them becoming overweight. Plus, if your child also drinks a lot of juice, he could be getting almost all the calories he needs from the milk and juice he's drinking, even though that wouldn't provide him with the right mix of fat, protein, carbohydrates, vitamins, and minerals. Another big problem is that toddlers who drink too much milk are often at risk for iron deficiency anemia. This is usually because milk doesn't have any iron in it, and because if they fill up on milk, they don't eat many other foods with iron either. If you decide that it's necessary, an easy way to cut back on his milk intake is to simply not fill up his sippy cups. In other words, if we're just constantly just having the light stuff of the faith, the milk, the simple matters of doctrine, which are good, you gotta own them, you gotta know them. In fact, you know, Peter says, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You've gotta have the the basic principles of the faith. They're good and they're necessary. But if you just stay focused on those, there's unhealth, there's an unhealthy uh, growth pattern in your life. It's like breaking your arm and busting your growth plate, you know. You know, you've got to pray that that growth plate will heal back up so that you can grow even more and even more. The interesting is that article goes on to say, you know, as adults, Milk is still a big part of our life because it gives us extra vitamins that we need. And so we do. We've got to have that, that light amount. Uh, you know, adults should have 24 ounces of milk each day. The funny thing is that teenagers should have 
32 ounces of milk each day. And if you just want to transfer that over to the, the spiritual application, man, don't our teenagers need more time in the word? You know, man, more of the word, more of the word so that they can grow even as teenagers. Let's just continue on verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And then verse uh, one of chapter six, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So move on, you know, from being infants towards spiritual adulthood. We need to leave these simple elementary principles of Christ. And if you don't know them, you need to grow in them now. If you're a young believer, grow in them. Please meet with us so we can disciple you and teach you these essential truths to Christianity. Leave the ABCs and move on to to perfect maturity. And, you know, some of these ABCs are listed here by the author of Hebrews, you know, the foundation of repentance from dead works, you know, as a baby Christian, one of the first things you learn is confess your sins and move on from your sins. And yet, as you know, some people that would say they're 30, 40, 50 years old in in Christianity, uh, they're still, they have no concept of confession of sins to one another. They have no concept of, you know, repenting of sins. It's just not there. Another thing that's, that's said here in Hebrews, an elementary principle, having faith towards God. You know, knowing that God loves you, has a plan for you, cares for you, and is there for you. It's an elementary principle, just trusting him. And just how, you know, many more, uh, much older Christians, you know, I just don't know if I trust him. I just don't know if I trust him. How can I be going through this if I trust If he, you know, I don't know, if, is he really there for me? Man, let's, let's get the trusting part down. I know that he's there. I know that he's faithful. I know that I can trust him. And here's how I know. And then now that you're an adult, that means you get to thrust all of that trust into practice. Now you get to do radical things with that trust. You know, you get to just stand up and be an evangelist for Jesus. Or you get to pray for a dead person to come back to life. Or pray for a paralyzed person to walk. Or you get to be used, use that trust that you were taught as a baby Christian. Verse 2 there, you know, an elementary principle. The doctrine of baptisms. It's time to move beyond that. You should know that by now. If you've been a Christian for a year, you should understand what baptism is. You know, many Christians get saved and are never, ever baptized. They never get baptized. And many Christians get hung up on, you know, do you have to be baptized to be saved? Or should the dead be baptized? Or should infants be baptized? That's an elementary principle. It's pretty simply laid out in scripture. We should know those things. And because of these elementary principles, they just never move on to having an intimate relationship with Jesus. It's kind of cool in Acts chapter 19, you don't have to flip there, but you know, um, Apollos was a, 
very well-spoken, educated man who, who was, you know, going around as a missionary, and yet he hadn't fully heard of all that had happened with Jesus and the disciples and the, all of the crucifixion. He had just been sent out by John the Baptist and was out doing John the Baptist thing, baptizing and calling people to repentance, which was good. But then Paul's disciples come up to him and say, hey, have you guys uh, received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we, don't, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And so then the disciples were able to say, well, here's what Jesus said, and here's what happened, and here's what's happened in Jerusalem. And they were able to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then they were baptized with the Holy Spirit uh, for power to be witnesses. Well, I just don't understand baptism. Grow in it. And don't be ashamed. Like, here's some missionaries that needed to grow. But grow nonetheless. It's time to grow. The, the concept of laying on a hands, the author tells us. It's an elementary principle. You know, some people have been saved for years, but don't understand the simple biblical concept of having people surround you and lay hands on you and pray for you. If you're sick, let us lay hands on you. It's just a symbol that you're not alone. We're with you and we're praying the Holy Spirit upon you. You know, and, and James tells us that if anyone is sick among you, go to the elders that they could lay hands on you and anoint you with oil and pray for you. But we just laying on, laying hands, that's, no, no, no. How long have you been a Christian? 67 years. And you don't understand the concept of laying on of hands? Have you been reading your Bible? <laughs> the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. It's a, it's a simple ABC alphabet of, our, of the simplicity of, of Christianity. Where do we go when we die? Who goes to heaven? Who goes to hell? It's elementary, my dear Watson. The basic principles of the faith. I had made up a list of just some elementary, elementary things that as, as a young Christian, it's time to, to learn and to grow in those things. Reading your Bible consistently and being dis, disciplined in your reading of the Bible just because you love Jesus and you've got to have him. You know, um, having a prayer life, being able to pray and not being ashamed to pray, understanding the power of prayer, listening to God's heart in prayer, recognizing spiritual warfare. Guys, it's something that you've got to learn now as a baby Christian. You've got to get it under your belt because you don't have time to not be a prayer warrior. You guys are being attacked left and right. That's why you got to learn how to pray first things first. <laughs> Are you a prayer warrior? Are you part of the prayer meeting at the Pulse? And if you're not able to come to the Pulse, are you pulsing, you know, in your own life? Man, I can't go to the Pulse tonight, but I'm praying here. And I'm consistently praying without ceasing throughout the day. You know, in your tithing and your giving. You know, have you grown as a Christian to, that you're a giver? And, and if you need to listen to last week's Bible study on that, you need to listen to it if you weren't here. So we just studied God's heart on being a giver. Something that every baby Christian should get right out of the gates is the understanding of the need to be in fellowship and to go to church. Not because you have to, but because you need to and you get to. I must have fellowship. I must have other people lifting up my arms and helping me in this life and encouraging me. I must have a steady diet of the word which I receive at church. Hebrews tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. 
And that doesn't just mean the gathering of ourselves, but if you were to assemble, you know, you go to Costco, you get one of those cool little playgrounds for the backyard that says some assembly required. It doesn't mean gather all the pieces together. All right, kids, come play on it. That's just a pile of wood and plastic, you know. No, it's talking about put, put it together. Each one of us is a different piece of the body of Christ. We need to be assembled. Some of you have gifts that we need here. But because you're not here, we're lacking. We're being robbed by you. How could you rob me like that? <laughs> you know, come and assemble together with us so that we can be, you know, the church that Jesus wants us to be. If you're just not in fellowship, then man, there needs to be some growth there spiritually. Growing in worship and understanding. It's not about an entertainment session at the beginning of church. It's about entering in and seeing Jesus and praising him and worshiping him and kissing him and thanking him. You know, not being entertained. Understanding, man, I can lift my hands. It's a biblical thing to lift my hands. I can bow down. It's a biblical thing to bow down. Growing in worship, and by no means is my heart, you know, beating the sheep this morning. I'm just stirred in myself. Rory, do you have the same number of verses memorized that you did last year at this time? Or have you been growing and implanting the word in your heart? Not so you could have a whole bunch of knowledge. I don't know, 500 verses. What's wrong with you? You know, no, but man, I got to have these verses in me. Like Psalm 119 says, how shall a young man cleanse his way? But by taking heed to the word of God. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I need the word in my heart. Jesus used the the verses in the Bible to defeat Satan when Satan was tempting him. Man, I need those verses in my life so I can speak them out when I'm under temptation. You know, do I understand the same principles of theology? You know, I only know three principles of theology. I've I've grown nothing in the last year. Man, let's grow in that. Man, New Year's is just a couple days away. We all have New Year's resolutions. I'm going to not overeat as much. I'm going to make sure to do my P90X workout every day. You know, I've got to, you know, do the squats all the way at a 90 degree angle. You know, I want to get in really good shape. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit lying. You know, I'm going to be more organized around the house. I promise to put the kids to bed at nine o'clock every night. You know, those are our resolutions, you know. Bodily exercise, Paul says, you know, it's profitable for some things, but godliness is profitable for all things. And man, I encourage you guys. I hope that it's not in any way condemning or harsh. I'm just passionate about it because I see potential. And if you're honest with yourself and you wrote down, man, I'm 30 years old in the faith or I'm three years old in the faith. Man, really, there should be like a 30-year-old Christian living in me. But, but really, he's still in his diaper, and he still has to drink milk. And man, I need to grow. And so I encourage you guys to be going to the home fellowships and to be coming to fellowship more often and to just get into the Word. And to grab, you know, I'll print out some fundamentals of the Christian faith packet so that you can fill it out with your families and grow. I've been filling it out with a guy I'm discipling and I'm just reminded of so much stuff. I'm like, I forgot that or I forgot this. Wow, it's so good to know that again. You know, grab one of those and, and maybe for you, you're just, man, I, I should be teaching people, but I'm still just being taught. 
You know, and maybe it's time for you to be part of the one-on-one discipleship and to help others grow and help others learn, to disciple others. It's time for you maybe to be a servant and to not just come to church always receiving, 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 but to come like Jesus did and say, well, you know, no longer am I coming just to be served. I'm going to come to serve in the children's ministry or in the sound booth or on the worship team or in the janitorial ministry or the chair stacking ministry, whatever. But I'm going to be a servant. I, I want to grow. You know, may, may the Lord grow us a year in the next year. You know, may our, may our prayers have more depth. You know, may our theology just have so much more meaning to us. You know, maybe you're just like, man, I've never understood the Trinity. You know, I, I know it's somehow, <laughs> you know, and, you know, I'm going I'm to attempt within the next year to be able to open my Bible to the verses that would explain the Trinity and to know the Trinity. I don't understand how to prove that Jesus is God. Well, hey, now you guys got some ammo, you know, you've, you've got Hebrews chapter one. But, you know, I want to grow in knowing and be able to defend that Jesus is God. I want to be able to defend that Jesus rose from the dead and I can prove that. You know, I, there's so much to grow in. And we're, we're robbing ourselves, we're robbing the rest of the church, and we're robbing God if we're just complacent in our Christianity. And if we become dull of hearing, it, just, it shouldn't be. And so may the Lord do a work in us this new year by His Spirit. We can't do it on our own, but we can recognize the need and we can ask Him to help us. So that in this new year, there would be exponential growth in each one of our lives. I don't know if you guys have read the Chronicles of Narnia, but um, the last book in the series is called The Last Battle. And there's just this incredible part where the, the little kids, the little British kids are in the land of Narnia, you know, and they're, they're just rushing to get to the land of Aslan. Aslan is a picture of Jesus. And they're just running to meet with Aslan. They're desperate to be with Aslan. And so they're going over rivers and sailing across oceans and climbing up cliffs and going through waterfalls and just everything that you can do. And as they get to each difficult task, they're just grabbing each other and saying, higher up, further in. Higher up, further in. Come on, guys. Higher up and further in. Higher up, further in. And man, may that be our call today higher up and further in with jesus not well i got saved i once was blind but now i see that's about it for me (laughs) you know no higher up further in do you understand that there's so much more that god wants to use your guys's hands to to open up the ears of the deaf and to open the sight for the blind and to heal people from their sicknesses and to save people from their sins He wants to use people from this church to go to other countries and and save other nations. If we just walk in the fullness of all that he has for us, higher up and further in. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's have the worship band come on up and you can put your stuff aside. And just as we close with, with song, 
Man, if you're just stirred by the Spirit, maybe He's just showing you you've been neglecting the gift of salvation that He's given you. Man, today, I just encourage you to respond to God's Word and just say, Lord, I know I've, that's me. I'm a child. I've been drinking milk and I've just been craving the milk and you want me to be into the meat. Lord, I, I've just been trying to figure out the elementary principles of the faith, but I haven't put any effort into it. And you want to teach me the deep doctrinal matters. Lord, I recognize that you're, you're calling me for more. You're pleading with me to go higher up and further in with you. And I just want to respond to you today and say, that's me, Lord. Don't let me sit here in my complacency, but give me the power, Lord. The power to disciple others, the power to, to understand the deep things of God. And the more I understand, the more I love God. And the more I love God, the more obedient I am to God. And the more, uh, the more trusting I am to do great things for Him. And if that's you this morning and you just, you hear just the, the plea of the Lord. Just awakening you to great things. I know perhaps, man, my heart not at, was not at all to sound severe or condemning, but sometimes we just need a charge given to us. I remember just riding one of my horses and, and you know, he would, after a while, just slow down and kind of balk up and either just stay still and not move or, you know, I need him to run and he wouldn't run. And man, I was so glad to have my spurs on. Because I could just dig those spurs into his belly and man, he was woken up and on the move. And today the Lord is just spurring us on. He wants to wake us up and get us on the move because we only have one life to live. And it soon will be past. And only what we've done for Jesus will last. And if that's you and you just want to say, Lord, I, I receive the spurring. I want to go deeper in you. Just during this last song, we're just going to give you an opportunity to stand. If that's you, you can stand and just respond to the word. We're even going to have the elders come forward and be up here for prayer. If you know, man, seems like I'm always in this place where I'm realizing I need to be spurred and I just keep falling back into complacency. And you know what? Come. And just let an elder pray for you. Just let another person hold your arms up. Let another person sharpen you as iron sharpens iron. And maybe you're here today and you really didn't understand much of what was being said because you're not even a baby. You're spiritually dead. You've never been born again. And Nicodemus came and asked Jesus, how can I go into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, one must be born again. And Nicodemus said, what am I supposed to crawl back up into my mother's womb? How is that supposed to happen? And Jesus said, you know what? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
And today you can be born again in your spirit. You can be regenerate, given new life, made a new creation. And all you have to do is just recognize that you're a sinner in need of a savior and put your faith in Jesus Christ to cleanse you from your sins. And you can be made new. You can be made whole. Your sins can be forgiven. And Jesus will make all things new for you. And then you'll be a baby and that's a beautiful place to be growing and learning the elementary principles of the faith. If that's you today and and you want to be born again today, made alive in Christ, before this point you were at war with God. You are an enemy of God, the scripture tells us. And the outcome is death, spiritual death, eternity in hell, separation from God for all of eternity. But today you can be a a friend of God. You can be adopted as a child of God. You can be given the inheritance of God, new life, spiritual riches, forgiveness of sins. If you want that today, just where you're at right now, why don't you just lift up your hand and say, Rory, that is me. I want to be born again today. I want to be given new life. I want to receive Jesus. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.